The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. What does everybody want? What does everybody need? What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome back to this very special crossover edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, as well as the Monday Locker Room presented by Hami Media. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. I'm joined alongside my favorite Huckleberry, RBV, but we have an incredibly special guest that we want to bring on to the show today, hailing from the great state of OHIO, but coming to us by way of Louisville, Kentucky, a man whose career spans 37 years, not only as an in-ring technician, but also as a man who helps shape the career and futures of future future Hall of Famers, a gentleman whose new book, Self-Help, Life Lessons from the Bizarre Wrestling Career of Al Snow, is so back-ordered that Amazon says it's going to be one to two months before my copy ships. Ladies and gentlemen, the owner and namesake of the Al Snow Wrestling Academy and OVW, Mr. Al Snow. Mr. Snow, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much for that amazing introduction. I, uh, now that the bar is set really high, I'm going to have to try to live up to it. Hopefully I can. Well, hopefully we can do the same. Mr. Snow, as I mentioned there, May 7th, ECW Press released Self-Help, Life Lessons from the Bizarre Wrestling Career of Al Snow. Most of our interviews we set up kind of as a career retrospective, but having just released one yourself, I thought that we'd take this in a little bit different direction. But I guess before we talk about the Wrestling Academy and OVW, tell us a little bit about the book and what I can expect to read once it arrives. Um, well, the, uh, about the book, the book is really, um, my takes, uh, I guess my experiences in the wrestling business and my take on how it, uh, made me into the person that I am today, um, you know, uh, and allowing me as a retrospective on my mistakes that I'm very honest about and that I'm very open about. I'm very direct about and, and, and take responsibility for um, in all of the, you know, bizarre uh, events that happen in wrestling that, you know, for, for people in wrestling, um, you kind of just, like, if I were to tell you any of the stories that were in the book, like the, the, the uh, van ride with six little people that were drunk and we got banned from IHOP and one of them ended up naked and hanging up the back of the van and, you know, uh, if you were in wrestling, you'd be like, oh, it's another day at the office. When I tell that story to anyone else in any other walk of life, they think there's no way. I mean, you know, you're making it up and it's like, no, I don't need to make, don't need to make it up. You know, it's, it's quite all real and, and does happen on a regular basis because it's, world of wrestling and you know, it, it, wrestling business has always attracted probably the most eclectic, eccentric, uh, you know, artistic individuals that you could ever find anywhere else. And, um, you know, especially when I first broke in, I mean, there were, there were people that were predominantly in the wrestling business that if they hadn't been in the wrestling business, they'd have probably been in prison somewhere. I mean, it was the only thing that they could do that would be, uh, allow them to be a functional member of society. Uh, Mr. Snow, Rick Vickery here. I wanted to ask you about uh, a more recent project of yours, and that being uh, Collar and Elbow, which uh, maybe for those that aren't as familiar with it, is a, a clothing line that you developed. It's geared towards independent wrestling fans. Can you tell us a, a little bit about you know, the company itself, uh, the designs, and maybe just the overall vision that, you, that you've had for Collar and Elbow? Well, 
Sure. I, you know, I, I felt like at the time that my partner Rod and myself, Rod Hicks, had uh, developed the idea, we were talking and discussing, um, you know, we were making fun of, quite honestly, like the, uh, the WWE merchandise um, of, you know, where guys, grown men, you know, buy shirts that have pictures of other grown men on them and wear them around. You know, they're not, for me, I'm not real comfortable with wearing another grown man's face on my desk. And, you know, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm still very much a fan of professional wrestling. I'm a fan of wrestling, period. And um, it just felt like, you know, Under Armour kind of represented football and, for, and the passion and, of uh, the fans for football. And uh, Nike kind of represented basketball and the passion of the fans for basketball or running, et cetera. And uh, I just didn't feel like there was, was anything that really kind of, you know, really captured uh, a fan's love of professional wrestling or wrestling in general. And um, we decided we were going to create something like that, that if you're a fan um, and, you, you, you know, you wear uh, uh, typical wrestling merchandise, you know, the first thing that you, you know, you're at a, a party or, or an event and, uh, you know, you're not surrounded by other wrestling fans. The first thing you hear is, oh, well, what do you like that? That's fake. And it's like, wow, you know, thank you very much, Murder, She Wrote. I'm, you know, really put all the clues together and finally was able to ascertain that that mystery. Um, you know, I, I don't need people to, to tell me that and, I, you know, or put, you know, make, make fun of me for liking something and having a passion for something that I enjoy. So we decided we would try to create designs that were more streetwear and looked, uh, you know, and communicated something cool, but also um, like the term collar and elbow. You know, if you're a wrestling fan, you understand what that is and how to to, you know, all forms of wrestling, whether it be professional wrestling, you know, catches catch can or, or Greco-Roman or even MMA, you know, all of these uh start with a collar elbow lockup and um, you know that communicates to a wrestling fan so we decided to try to uh, create designs that incorporate um, those terms that if you're a wrestling fan you get it if you're not a wrestling fan you just think the design is really cool and you want to you know you want to you want to buy the buy the shirt and then we went out of our way to try to really get the very highest quality uh, t-shirts because um, we'll, I figured if I'm going to have to wear these things around all the time to try to advertise the company, I wanted something that was nice. So we try to get uh, shirts that, you know, it's like that one shirt that you've kept for a very long time that's in the bottom of the drawer that you always dig to kind of find and wear. And that's, uh, you know, we wanted to put them on those kind of types of clothing. And, um, you know, and it's doing really well. I mean, we, it's very, very popular, and it's it's growing um, um, very strongly, and uh, I'm thrilled to, that, you know, I've gotten to be a part of it. I know when we were up at All In uh, this past September, Rick and I, for StarCast, there was collar and elbow stuff absolutely everywhere. The brand's absolutely being very, very well represented. Yeah, yeah, I'm thrilled. I, you know, I can't, you know... Um, can't thank you know we send them out and we give them to a lot of the stars of wrestling and you know the guy they love them you know um even people on you know the the, the talent that are on WWE's main roster love it and 
you know, they wear it all the time, and that really helps to market the brand and get it out there to the fans. And you know, I can't thank them enough for you know doing that. They're they're an integral part of the success of of the company, and uh, really really appreciate them, you know, doing that. So um, I'm hoping that we just continue to grow it and grow the brand and grow the company and you know build something um, for everyone. Uh, because at the end of the day, I mean, at the heart of it, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a fan myself, you know, of, of, of wrestling, professional wrestling, and, um, and I hope that, you know, I want to do something that represents, you know, how much I love wrestling. Mr. Snow, you started the Al Snow Wrestling Academy in 1990, your hometown of Lima, Ohio. I know Rick has some great stories that we've heard over the course of the last couple of years about war and your time base there in Ohio. Some of the notable individuals yeah. that have come out of the academy include the Blue Meanie, Truth Martini, but the one that really jumped off the page to me was UFC Hall of Famer Mr. Dan Severin. In the last few years, we've seen this huge influx of mixed martial arts talent make the jump to professional wrestling. Tell us a little bit about your time with Mr. Severin and what it's like helping adapt an MMA style into the world of professional wrestling. Well, it's, uh, working with Dan was fantastic. I mean, Dan's such a pro and such a great human being. Um, you know, uh, it was, it was, you know, he's such a great guy and I consider him a friend. And uh, we, you know, it was it was awesome to work with him and to train him, you know, uh, to be in the world of professional wrestling. And also, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of get involved and train uh, with him, you know, uh, training for UFC 4, the first time he made his appearance in UFC. And, um, which, you know, now when we look back, I mean, neither one of us, you know, UFC was completely different back then, you know. It was more, it was a tournament, you fought if you, you won, you fought, you know, uh, at least you fought three times to win the tournament. And, you know, um, you know, you, you, you couldn't, there were no tapes of who you were going to fight. You didn't, you weren't able to, you know, study um, your opponent. Um, unlike now where it's developed into its own style where every, you know, competitor has some kind of ground game to, you know, uh, to a degree, and every competitor has, you know, some kind of stand-up game to some degree. Um, you know, you're now, back then, everybody had a different style. You you know, Hoyce Gracie was at the top of the ladder, and he was he was a jiu-jitsu fighter. You had guys that were judo. You had, you know, the, the UFC that we were in, there was a boxer, uh, an actual boxer that was involved. Um, you know, Dan fought um, his first fight was with a Muay Thai guy, and then the second fight was with the long style karate, and then his third was with Hoist, which was, you know, a UFC guy. I mean, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a, uh, you know, a, um, a uh, uh, jiu-jitsu. So, you know, you, you couldn't plan. You couldn't, you know, you didn't know what you were training for or how to train for it, and, you know, we just, <laughs> thinking back about it, we just had no approach, no, no idea of what we were doing. But, you know, because of Dan's uh, physical toughness and his, you know, his incredible skill, I mean, he did, went on to do, you know, do amazing and, uh, and had an amazing career. And, uh, you know, the, the transitioning or adapting to professional wrestling is really, it's not that 
not that hard. I mean, it, it is from the standpoint that there is a distinct difference in timing, distance, and footwork, and the reason that there is that distinct difference in those things, those three elements, is because of the intent. You know, the only thing that is fake about professional wrestling, which a lot of people, even within professional wrestling, don't know or understand, is it's just the outcome. Just the intent behind what you're trying to attempt to do is the thing that is, is quote-unquote fake, meaning that, you know, whatever I'm doing in the ring, I'm doing to try to either genuinely get my opponent to submit or wear them down to where I can pin them for a three count. And, uh, you know, with MMA, that intent is, is, is there. And so that timing footwork are going to be altered because you're not going to open yourself up. You're not going to give your opponent opportunities much like you would in professional wrestling. Um, but as far as the actual physical skills, um, they're very much the same. Um, you know, without the running back and forth and hitting the ropes, but um, or coming off the top of the cage or something, um, it's still though very much the same. Uh, professional wrestling was, you know, kind of the original uh, mixed martial arts um, because of the catch wrestling background that you you had because of the submission style of wrestling, and then uh, allowing um, strikes within it. Um, it was just that, you know, it got developed into more of a show and more of an actual artistic performance as opposed to being in a pure competitive situation. So, the, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, a good example of, of it would be Ronda Rousey. I think Ronda Rousey is amazing. I think that she quite honestly epitomizes um, what it, it means to be a, a quote-unquote worker in professional wrestling because she is so good at what she does. She's capable of allowing an audience to believe in her intent while she's in the ring. And um, she does absolutely fantastic. Looking back at that time when you were training with Dan Severn in that time period around UFC 4, did you have any idea that it would become this this juggernaut of a sport that it has in 2019? No, no, I had not. And, you know, uh, actually I thought that it was going to fade away. You know, there was fear that it would at one point because, you know, they had marketed and done a great job doing that, selling the gimmick of UFC as being this ultra-violent, bloody, you know, almost like a, you know, one senator, I think, referred to it as a human cockfight. And when, when quite honestly, it was, it was nowhere near that. Um, you know, it was, it was violent and it was, it was aggressive, but, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, action, a lot of the, the wins, uh, the defeats all happened on the mat. And, um, you know, through submissions and things like that, there weren't a ton of knockouts. They've altered purposely, I believe, the, uh, the rules of UFC to allow, to enable and create more of a stand-up situation for these fighters, you know, um, which ultimately, you know, makes it much more of a show and makes it much more relatable to a general audience and, um, and uh, makes it much more exciting because, you know, the average person's never, you know, been, you know, done jujitsu or, or, you know, majority of them have not done jujitsu or, or 
catch wrestling. And so when the guys go down on the mat, you know, you can tell the audience kind of gets off a little bit as compared to when they're both up on their feet and they're throwing strikes or kicks and that sort of thing. And, you know, uh, it was, I could, tra- you could trace the, the success of you the back. Quite honestly, it even being a white said so when they did the Ultimate Fighter. Um, you know, that was the key element that USC was missing um, was uh, create the creation of that show and which allowed for the general public to uh, get to know the characters and personas of the fighters and thus care about who won and lost and also allowed the general public to also learn and understand what what the UFC was and, and how it was conducted and, you know, how a person went about winning and how a person went about losing. And uh, it, that was the springboard that really, you know, set UFC in motion. Wow, that's a, a tremendous insight there, Mr. Snow. Uh, I want to ask you a bit about 2004. Uh, while working with WWE, you made your way to OVW where you, you know, became an assistant in, in helping train that next generation of superstars uh, some great names, you know, like CM Punk, Ryback, The Miz, Beth Phoenix, Bobby Lashley, so many more. Can you tell us a bit about that time in the business? Mainly because it, it seems like what we, you know, what was kind of groomed there is what we would come to know now is like the modern era of WWE talent. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thrilled to be a part of it, and you know, I came in originally as just a, a trainer, a head trainer. And uh, working with the work, working with the men and women here at OBW, and then um, you know they had uh, Cornette uh, was released, uh, had some issues with WWE, was released ago, and uh, he was kind of the provider, director of the television, and um, he was replaced by Paul Heyman, and then Paul was brought back up to WWE since was relaunching W at that time. And then, um, you know, Craig Gagne was brought in to, to write and direct the TV. Then, you know, he was released. And I kind of, just so facto, kind of started writing the TV and utilizing it as a tool in our, you know, with the training, uh, accompanying it together. And, um, you know, we, we had such a, a great time, told so many great stories and, and I think it really helped to marry the training to the television writing and directing that uh, really helped the talent to really helped them develop and, um, and you know, go on to become major stars and uh, professional wrestling. Our alumni, I think we we're, I think we're up to about 169 that have all you know, been with WWE on the main roster, and out of that, I think a third of that number have main events at WrestleMania um, and held the world a heavyweight title for WWE. So, you know, uh, OVW has been a very long history of, you know, developing and and creating uh, superstars. I'm very glad to be a part of that. 
you left OVW then in 2009, but not for long, as you would make your way back in 2011, this time creating a developmental system for TNA and thus reinstating the Al Snow Wrestling Academy in conjunction with OVW. This time around, you were developing talents like Lady Tapa, Rockstar Spud, Jesse Goddards, and a whole lot more. And then as that relationship was coming to its conclusion, you started launching the Al Snow Wrestling Academies all over the world, whether it be in the UK, Europe, the Middle East, South America. Tell us a little bit about the expansion on that global scale and what the original idea behind the expansion was. Well, the original idea was um, was I wanted to create uh, a, a system of academies that were philosophically all founded on the same principles. Um, so I developed uh, a syllabus that I, you know, give each academy, and I directly, you know, supervise the, you know, the trainers as far as training from that syllabus um, and, and the philosophy behind it. And then that way, if you're a student, if you're attending one of the academies in the UK, there's only so far that you're going to develop. There's only so far that you're going to, you know, start to mature and you're going to reach a plateau because you're, you're, you're only going to get the, the same amount of experience. Now, because I have, uh, let's say, two in Chile, I've got one in Portugal and one in Hungary and one in Denmark, each one of those academies philosophically are teaching the same thing. But the style that they do when they wrestle is it's going to be different. It's going to be unique because culturally the audience is different. So you now can go from, let's say, the UK and you can go down to South America and you can work in front of a South American audience and you can get that experience and that polish of understanding how to personally change and adapt your picking style where one, you can now um, perform with a person who is completely different than you and in front of an audience that you have to sell yourself in a different way because culturally it's different than what you say to the Then you spend a certain amount of time there and then you can move on from there to, let's say, Denmark and then Hungary and Romania and you know, come over to the United States, which is a completely different experience culturally than a lot of the other places. So that when and if you ever get the opportunity for WWE, which is now a global promotion, truly is a global promotion, you have experience and polish in so many different places that you can truly take advantage of those opportunities that WWE and its platform provides you. Well, Mr. Snow, in, uh, in April of 2018, yourself, along uh, with Mr. Chad Miller and Joe Reeves, you purchased OVW from its founder, Mr. Danny Davis. 
Uh, obviously, we've, as we spoke about here during the interview, uh, such a long connection with OVW. Uh, you know, it's so many different, you know, so many different ways that, that you've been involved there. Can you tell us about a little bit about how the purchase came to be, and what does it mean to you personally to, to be back in Louisville under the OVB, OVW umbrella? Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to be back in Louisville, and I'm thrilled to be you know be back involved with OVW, and now even more so since it's you know it's my baby. I mean, it's, and I'm going to do everything I can to not just let it survive, but make it thrive. You know, and I'm proud of and, uh, the fact that A.D. Davis is just willing to entrust his legacy to me. Um, and I take that very seriously. Um, how it came to be here, now I met my partner Chad and, and Joe, um, is that Chad was at the time, <clears throat> when I met him, uh, months prior, he was the head of the Kentucky Wrestling and Boxing Commission. And I had uh, with Wrestling Boxing Commission to address them uh, because that uh, prior, months prior to my addressing them, uh, a young man out in Oklahoma, which was another commission to the state, um, a young man that was very poorly trained, uh, unprepared, went into the ring and, and took a spine buster and uh, struck the back of his head so violently that he had brain swelling, was in a coma for three days, and they finally had to pull the plug and he passed away. Um, and I've seen an increase of those types of situations in professional wrestling because um, the difference between now and when I was trained or brought into professional wrestling was that in, in the day, back in the day, um, whoever trained you was held directly responsible for you and for anything and everything you ever do in the wrestling business. That was where the term kid is the same from. That's what it means. I used that way tough enough where I would train the kids and I would call them my kid. One of the things I was trying to be parental figures because now I'm responsible for these kids. They are carrying my reputation around with them. <clears throat> and I'm not I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do everything I can to ensure that these kids succeed um, and, and and do well because it's just directly a reflection on me. Um, and I don't want to be held responsible for these kids go in and violate some sanctity of the wrestling business to say ruin the, the efforts that somebody's trying to make to, you know, build the business. Uh, because that that's gonna, gonna kill my reputation. Um, nowadays though, unfortunately, there are no physical standards. As far as athleticism, and I don't mean just cosmetics. It, you know, we all know it's a very cosmetic business, but just from an athletic standpoint, there are no standards. Um, there are no standards as far as to train somebody. There are no standards to how to be trained. Um, and, and as a result, you know, I've a, spent a lot of time on the independents, and you know, I see people that are physically. They just are not in any condition, nor have they been trained properly to be in the ring and face with one another. Um, and so I went to the commission and, and, and found it appalling that my wife, who is a licensed, this is, um, you know, 
and any other licensed vocation, which what that is what professional wrestling is. At the end of the day, it's a vocation. It's not a competitive pursuit. It's a vocation. Um, that you know, there was no state-approved you know trade school. Um, you know, for instance, if you want to be a beautician, you want to be a, a mortician, you want to be a barber, you want to be a pursuit, you have to go to a state-approved training school. You have to then go for a required number of hours of training. And then you have to pass a test to show that you have the proper skills to then get the license to pursue that vocation. And once you're licensed, you then have to have continuing education to be able to maintain that license going forward. Professional wrestling in the state of Kentucky, Maryland, Oklahoma, South Carolina, uh, Louisiana, York, uh, I can think of numerous states that have a regulatory commission on wrestling. The standard is they need your license fee and get a physical, and ta-da, you're a licensed professional wrestler. I find that absurd, and I find it insulting to the highest degree. Um, and I find it dangerous, because now you've got men and women, young men and women, who are out in a ring, and they're physically performing with each other, meaning that they are picking them up, each other up, and of course putting each other down violently. Um, and, and they're physically in a condition to where they they are they're winded. They're what in terms of wrestling are blown up, and you know the increased odds of a life-altering injury or death is is insane. And and I thought that that was ridiculous. So I approached the wrestling and boxing division, trying to get something like that instituted, and they. You know, were more concerned, quite honestly. They were more concerned about the fact that they were going to lose a lot of people that would be paying that license fee, and it came down to dollars and cents. And as a result, you know, gave me a plethora of excuses um, as to why they, they couldn't institute a policy of that nature. And um, so, you know, I continued to think Chad Miller on, a, on and off basis, and Chad felt the same way as I did, and, you know, resigned. Um, so that he and I could basically do it on our own, that we could, you know, institute uh, what they would not. And as a result, um, we purchased OVW, um, and then we now have, for the first time ever, um, we have provisional approval from the State Office of Proprietary Education, who oversee, uh, you know, colleges, universities, trade schools, uh, that we will receive our uh, designation as an actual trade school for professional wrestling, sports entertainment, and broadcasting. So we created a two-year program that uh, students will come in, and now not only do they learn how to do the in-ring skills of a professional wrestler, but they also learn how to operate a camera, lighting, sound, you know, producing, editing, directing, writing, uh, live event management, promotion, uh, fiscal self fiscal responsibility, uh, social media management. No, we're in all aspects of of professional wrestling and sports entertainment and broadcasting. So that one, as an in ring performer, they'll have a much better understanding of what they need to do and how they need to do it. 
um, and why, but they've also been had their hands in the other part of it as well. And you know, and, and you know, for, let's face it, professional wrestling has a great you know uh, inroad as far as for these young men and women teaching them skills to get into wrestling, but nobody gives them any skills to now exit wrestling. And it's, it is such a prominent problem that even the NFL has instituted a new training uh, curriculum for their own athletes to teach them how to, once their on-field career ends, how to live a normal life off the field and not just be a football player. And, you know, with professional wrestling, it's much the same situation. You know, I, look at me. I've been doing this for 37 years. If I were to go out into the real world and try to apply for, you know, a job and create and start another career from scratch, they're going to basically go, well, what have you been doing for the last 37 years? And they go, well, I've been state fighting with another man in my underwear for money. And they're going to be like, well, that's great. We've got a spot right here for you, you know. CEO of the company, congratulations. I mean, it's not going to happen. And, you know, the the inspiration for a lot of this, as far as teaching these young girls, these young athletes, these other additional skills, came from the fact that, uh, one, an OBW alumni, James Long, uh, started out just as a professional wrestler, then self-taught, learned skills of production, editing, and I was, he got so good and so talented, I was able to get him hired as a uh, as part of the production team for Impact Wrestling, for TNA, and now he's went on from there and has gotten hired by WWE and is the head of their experimental production division in NXT. Um, you know, so he has a, a whole new career and life beyond, you know, just the in-ring uh, activity. And the, you know, and the young lady, um, Tomasa Chapa's beautiful wife, Jeff Whitney, uh, she was also an inspiration because she came to Tough Enough 2, she was a competitor, um, she got eliminated, and on her own, she, followed, she came back as an intern with MTV's production crew and learned skills, got herself hired as a backstage producer for WWE, and then went on from WWE to have, and then she's had a very wonderful career as a television producer for Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC, uh, and traveled all over the world. Um, so it's my hope that I can give these kids uh, skills that they can also continue to live a life, whether it be within the confines of professional wrestling and sports entertainment, or they can go out into the entertainment industry and period and take those skills and parlay them into a brand new career over and above and beyond just their in-ring careers in professional wrestling. Great stuff. Combine registration is now open for the Academy. And the book, Self-Help, Life Lessons from the Bizarre Wrestling Career of Al Snow, is now available on Amazon.com. Mr. Snow, we'd like to thank you very much for joining us today on your travels to Fort Wayne. If you would be so kind, please tell people how to keep up with yourself, the Al Snow Wrestling Academy, and OVW. Yes, um, you can keep up with me on all the social media platforms at The Real Al Snow. Yes, there were some fakes, and when I would find them, I would just message them and go, look, if I'm going to fake being a celebrity, I'd aim the bar higher. Just stop. Um, So I have the real out snow. I have all the blue little marks all over everything. It's me. Uh, And uh, 
if you uh, if you want to follow OVW, you can find you can find us at ovwrestling.com. Uh, the Al Snow Wrestling Academy is aswa.live. You can go on there. You can sign up for the combine. It is an actual combine. I need to clarify for everyone out there: this is not a training camp. This is not you know a where you do a tryout. We're inviting athletes, both wrestlers that are working and athletes, uh, former military, that have not been trained at all to come and compete in this combine. And we have an actual quantifiable message that we score people on, much like the NFL and Major League Baseball do. And it is up on the site. You can see the things that you have to do when you come to the combine. And we're taking, for the first time ever, guys, quite honestly, for the very first time ever, both men and women are equally competing for the exact same opportunity in sports and sports entertainment. We're trying to address the sport in sports entertainment and the athletes that perform that sport. Professional wrestlers are genuine athletes, some of the best athletes in the world, and we're going to score them. And the 15 athletes, the 15 men and women who have the highest scores, overall scores, are going to be given a two-year full-ride scholarship to the trade school along with dormitory facilities um, and job placement for temporary employment while they're here so that they can continue to live and pay bills and eat. And that's kind of necessary. Um, while we attend school and training and learn skills to pursue a career in professional wrestling and sports entertainment. But for us, for OVW, that's a half million dollar investment we're making in our real product, which is the talent, and in the future of the professional wrestling business. Very cool, very cool times ahead for yourself as well as OVW, as well as the Al Snow Wrestling Academy. Mr. Snow, thank you so much for joining us. Keep in touch. Hopefully we can do this again soon. I hope so, and I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you very much, Mr. Snow. Thank you. You guys have a good day.